Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Today we have a very special guest. Scott Shura has joined us. Um, he has a, a very, very touching story. Uh, many of us have heard many of these stories that's going on in the hospitals. Um, I know someone personally here in Wisconsin where his father is no longer with us, and they had police there when his father called him and said, get me out of here. These people are trying to kill me. And um, so further to do tonight, we have Scott. He is going to tell us a story about his daughter, a tragic story. And Scott, I would like to introduce you. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Mike. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'm I'm doing okay. I caught a little cold today, so it's uh, not 100%, but I'm certainly glad to be here and tell the story. Most definitely. I, I do plan on coming out there on the 9th. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get off on the 8th, but I will be up there on the 9th, and I plan on meeting Mary up there as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, she said that she's staying, she's staying that overnight for the ninth also. So that's neat. So can you give us a, the uh, listeners a little background of yourself and uh, how everything led up to that, that uh, tragic situation? Sure. So my, I'm Grace's dad. My, my daughter, Grace is, was 19. Uh, she had Down syndrome and she died last October, October 13th. Um, in a in a hospital that chose to adopt a protocol that ended up killing her and as we get into the story you'll see you'll see that uh, you'll probably think it's way more than killing and i i'm using the word kill just because i don't want to cross that line on the air uh, how we got to that point we were as a family we were prepared for covid we had all the frontline doctor materials at home and so we just assumed if somebody got a cold or whatever it was, it was COVID. So Grace got a sniffle around September 28th. She had already been on vitamin D, C, zinc, you know, all the vitamin protocols. But then we, we got her on ivermectin and ratcheted up everything according to the frontline doctor's protocol. And so we really didn't think anything of it. We just thought we'd walk right through it. We tested her with a home test on October 1st. She tested positive. The reason we tested her is we were planning on going to a wedding and we just didn't want to spread COVID if she had it. So then we didn't go to the wedding and things just kept going. And um, all of a sudden she couldn't maintain her oxygen above 90%. So on October 6th, we went to the emergency room and, you know, it just is a, it's, it's an anomaly that we had to go to the emergency room, but it has a, a cause, and I want to go through that before we jump into the story, because I ended up in the hospital with worse symptoms than Grace three days after she died. And as we have studied and researched, we found out that through Dr. Chetty's research, he's a South African doctor, his research is posted on Grace's website, you'll see that there's a small percentage of the population that has a propensity to clot and have produce inflammation. And I knew I had both of those before COVID and it's a genetic disposition. So Grace, I presume, inherited that from me. My wife also had COVID 
during the same window, her symptoms were, her visible symptoms were quite a bit worse than Grace, Grace's, yet she was able to maintain her oxygen. So we ended up going to the emergency room thinking that we needed to do that because of the oxygen need. And if I would have known then what I know today, we would have still went to the emergency room, but we would have went home on a prescription for oxygen and a steroid and Grace would be alive today. So that's certainly one of the take-home messages is that you're responsible to be educated. And this show now is educating who's ever listening that you don't have to go to the hospital or check yourself into the hospital just because you have low oxygen. Uh, you could you could do it without checking yourself in. So that gets you as to the background and how we got there. Grace, as uh, as our daughter, Grace was very high functioning. She had Down syndrome, as I said. And to give you a perspective of how high functioning she was, my wife has a real gift for teaching. And accordingly, we homeschooled Grace, and she taught Grace how to read and write along with all kinds of other things. Uh, Grace rode a horse. Uh, she rode a bicycle. She played violin. Uh, she um, There's really nothing she didn't do. I taught her to drive a car. It just gives you a perspective. I mean, she was, she was very high-functioning, but way more important than that, she was a great kid. She was an absolute joy to have, her, to have as a child. It was... She was a gift from God. We had an angel walking around with us for 19 years. She was she was a pure joy. She had she had a love for our Lord that I can only dream of. She um, she just had a a love that's hard to even grasp. And she knew her place. She called me earthly dad, Mike, just to give you a perspective. Wow. So that gives you a little bit of background and how we got to the point of getting to the emergency room. So while in the, the emergency room, um, what what further transpired with grace and procedures, so to speak? So in the emergency room, it was I, I thought it was fairly normal. I mean, they had they put her on oxygen right away. Uh, what wasn't normal was that they they didn't situate the oxygen properly. So uh, one time the cannula got disconnected from the wall and they panicked thinking it was uh, something serious because Grace's oxygen dropped. But I mean, it was because they hadn't connected the cannula up properly to the wall unit delivering the oxygen. And then several times the cannula came out of Grace's nose just because her ears weren't holding the the cannula, right? So I just readjusted, readjusted uh, the cannula to make it so that the, she had oxygen the whole time. But what was significant in the emergency room was two things. One was that when they they wanted to admit her, I said, "Well, then I'll be staying with her." And they responded that you can't. And I said, "Well, what's the reason?" And they said, "Because we don't allow visitors on the COVID wing." And so then I said, "Well, I'll be taking Grace home then," and they they uh, came back two hours later with a decision on on my statement and said we decided you can stay as long as you don't leave the room. So that was was a our first real clue that think what's the reason a Down syndrome girl can't have an advocate in the room just because this crazy hospital policy. And you know when we get into the story you'll see that uh, that rears its head again. Then the second thing that was not really strange, but if uh, 
if I remember, as we get to the end of the story, it does tie back because Grace and I waited about 10 hours in the emergency room before we were transferred to a room on the COVID wing. So then uh, what we can do, Mike, do you want to just, as you have questions, just interrupt me or do you want me to just keep keep rambling on? No, you're good. Um, I, I want your story heard. So as I go then, Mike, if you have questions, just just uh, interrupt because I'm, I'm comfortable with that and I'd rather have your questions be live than wait till the end. And so what I'm going to do next is go through every day of the hospital stay just to give people a sense of what was going on. And then we're going to get into Grace's last day, which was on October 13th, which is pretty dramatic, uh, all the things that happened. And then we're, we'll talk about why I believe it happened. So everything I'm going to share up until the why is factual right out of the doctor's reports. Uh, all the research that I'm going to reference is posted on Grace's website, which is ouramazinggrace.net. And I'd encourage people to look at that because when you hear this detail, it will sound too unbelievable. And if you don't know me, you would think that uh, I don't know if I believe this story. So look at the research because it's backed up 100% by the doctor's uh, records. And then when I get into the why, that's that's becomes my opinion, and I'll, you know, you'll know that when we start talking about it. And then at the end, I just want to share how this relates to where does God fit into this whole thing. And so I'd like to end with that as we we keep going. Does that sound okay, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so considering that she had you know, Down syndrome, you would think that there would have been something in place to where she needs her legal guardians to be her voice. You know, that, that I, I really don't understand that. That that really kind of bothers me. But, I you know, I know everything is planned out from our creator. But at the same time, wow, those procedures were terrible. Well, it's it's not all that surprising when you consider how the politicians choose to operate today. So when I'm 58 years old, when I was a kid, I mean, there was always a difference between conservatives and liberals. And, you know, they could still work together and come up with a consensus. And sometimes the consensus is even better because they both are looking at things from completely different perspectives. But now today, both parties... Uh, the liberals worse than the conservatives, but they choose to operate outside of the rule box. So in this case, the rule box is the Americans with Disabilities Act. So Grace had a right to an advocate under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But the hospital is an arm of the government, which I'll prove as we go through this this uh, story. And as such, they they don't care about what the rules are. You know, so they will tell you their policy is what's what's important to them and most people aren't challenging it and uh, even if you do challenge it they can you know they can uh, call the local police and take you out and then so so what you you're in the right but it takes you two years in court to prove that you're right and the the deed's already done so i mean that's what's different about today's world is that there's no respect for the law anymore 
Yeah, true. And uh, I think we're all coming to realize that it's not about Republican or Democrat. They're uh, both in in bed with each other. And I think there's still a couple good guys probably on both sides, but the majority of them um, are not looking for the best interests of the people, which is sad, especially when it comes to medical tyranny. And while your your daughter was in the hospital and, and, you know, she was sick, did they at any time put DNR on her paperwork or? Uh, they did. And I, I'm, when I get into Grace's last day, I'm going to explain that in detail. And what's, what's strange about that is I believe Grace's case is the first one where they got caught. I think that this is happening a lot. And it's just this one they got caught doing it. Um, this is, this is a common practice already in the UK and yeah, end, end of life meds and unilateral DNRs by the doctor. Uh, but it's illegal in the United States. Uh, so what they did to grace was illegal, but again, again, go back to this rule box that we all used to operate under. So now they did an illegal DNR and we'll just close up on that real quick. I, I want to, you know, when I go through the story, you'll see how dramatic it is. But the Ill, so they do an illegal DNR. Uh, that illegal DNR was step two of two steps. So step one was the meds they gave her. Step two was the DNR. And those two steps killed Grace. So when you, so now that's illegal. Wisconsin State Statute 154 has three specific provisions that they violated. So it's against the law. The reality is that to take them to court is quite a, quite a task. Uh, and the reason for that is because Grace was an adult. State statute precludes us taking them to court because she was an adult for uh, malpractice or loss of companionship. So our only claim is a um, claim for, for pain and suffering from Grace's estate, which kind of is a mal, ends up being a malpractice claim. Uh, the, the limitation of the award, if we would win, is $750,000. So We've talked with a number of attorneys already. It looks like we may have a, a way to get this case to court, but as a normal case, attorneys are not interested in doing it because the cost to get to court is in the neighborhood of a hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and the chance of winning is only one in ten. So even though when you listen to Grace's case, you'll say, "Well, this is an automatic win." I talked with maybe the best attorney in the state, and, and he said, even in slam dunks like this appears to be, we only have a one in 10 chance of winning. So you ultimately have to get an attorney to take the case. And they're not, they're reluctant to take the case because you know, they're going to be forking out $100,000 to $250,000 to get it to court with a maximum um, win of 750,000 with a one in 10 chance. So from a very practical basis, you can't, you can't beat them. So then you have some other angles, of course, criminal, you know, when you hear the story, you'll say, well, there's a criminal case here. Yeah, I, I agree. There is. Um, there's also the disability rights case, 
you know, so there's there's many angles here. We're going to see how it shakes out. A, you know, ultimately, if God is behind uh, taking this to court, which it seems like he is, and we're going to find out as things shake out. But if he's behind it, you know, then I'm certain we will win, regardless of the odds stacked against us. Wow. <clears throat> what really puzzles me, I mean, well, I know this is happening everywhere, but when I hear Appleton, Wisconsin, that, that really just uh, really blows my mind. Um, God, I get it. I mean, you think these are ha- these things happen in big cities, Chicago, New York, whatever. But I mean, in conservative Appleton, Wisconsin, but you got one thing to realize is that the hospital Grace was killed at is St. Elizabeth's in Appleton. Well, St. Elizabeth's is part of Ascension Hospital System, which is a 142 hospital chain. Ascension Hospital System in name only is a Catholic hospital system. And I say in name only because they have $26 billion in cash reserves at the end of their last fiscal year, meaning their last fiscal year in covid and so their fiscal year, as I believe, is March 31st. I, I could be corrected on that. So the second year of COVID is coming up here. At the end of the first year, they had $26 billion in cash. And they were partnered in a private equity fund with George Soros. So just process that. And when you hear the story, you're going to see how motivated they are by the financial gain that the government kicked out with, with COVID. Well, I didn't know they were uh, <clears throat> partnered up with George Soros. That explains everything. That explains and, a lot. So the and just just to give you a, a different perspective, the hospital I went into three days after Grace died was St. Vincent's in Green Bay. They're um, part of a much smaller regional hospital system. The treatment I received was literally opposite. They saved my life. I can't say enough about them. It was a wonderful stay. Uh, and they knocked it out of the park every, with every single thing versus St. Elizabeth's failed on almost every single thing. And it's simply a different in, difference in perspective. One hospital's goal was to uh, get the, the money to come in regardless of patient care. And the other one uh, worked on patient care first and regardless of the amount of money that was coming in. I mean, it's it's that it's worlds apart. So I mean, that's another take home message from this program is that if you're preparing ahead of time, when you get into the hospital, it's too late to check out the hospital. You've got to check out potential hospitals in your area area to find out if they've been bought by the government or not, or if they're independent and they make decisions for the the health of the patient under the Hippocratic oath. Last week on Grace's website, I put the Hippocratic Oath on her website and then listed all the violations of the Hippocratic Oath and what they specifically did to Grace that were in violation of the Hippocratic Oath. So if you have a hospital system that believes and follows the Hippocratic Oath, you're going to do fine. But if they don't care about that anymore and they're they're motivated by the financial statement that the the um, CEO is pushing. It's a different. It's a different game. Wow. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, Doctor Patrick Flynn. He's out there in in Green Bay. He's a natural wellness doctor. Um, we've had him. 
the pleasures to have him on here a couple times. Um, Dr. Patrick Flynn. Um, he's definitely not bought and paid for. I tell you that he uh, took my grandmother from basically having kidney failure, going on the Alice machine with natural herbs and organic juice. And she went to her mainstream doctor and he was looking puzzled and he's like, Oh, your kidneys are okay. <laughs> so Dr. Patrick Flynn, Scott. Yep. He, he interviewed me last week and, uh, Oh, nice. Was, yeah. That was, uh, a nice, actually this earlier this week, he interviewed me. It was a, it was a real nice interview. Uh, it's, it's going to be posted, I think, uh, tomorrow. So it was, it was nice. And, uh, uh, he had a very nice staff that helped out, and it was it was really a nice interview, and I had a great sense of how he he runs his operation compared to the others. And yeah, I certainly would recommend St. Vincent's Hospital in Green Bay as far as a hospital, just based on how I was treated. And of course, I would never recommend St. Elizabeth's. I would, you know, if you even get close, I would tell you to just just take even another route so you don't have any chance of turning in there. Yeah. And you hit a key point, you know, we're, we're living in a time which I never thought that we, I would even be saying this, but before you go to the hospital, do your due diligence because you may walk in and may not walk out. Um, so I'm really glad that you said that. Well, that's that's right on. Now, consider when I tell this story, consider that I was in the room with Grace from October 7th through the 10th. Then we had 44 hours without an advocate. Then my daughter, Jessica, was in the room um, part of the 11th, uh, most of the day on the 12th and all day on the 13th. And so they did this while we were advocates. My wife couldn't be an advocate because she had COVID. So they did this while we were there. So now the typical situation that they have been selling is that you can't have anybody on the COVID wing. So most people are watching their loved ones die on the phone, FaceTime, or getting a call after they're gone because they don't allow them in the room. So we've got three things that are lining up to get this agenda going as far as the hospital implementing it. Number one is this whole bonus program. So the hospital receives an average of a $100,000 bonus for every COVID patient. So if you just think that through, what's the reason? That doesn't make any sense. And they're following the same protocol that they started two years ago. So they're getting a bonus for following the same protocol that they started two years ago. And to connect the dots, the United States, there's 200 countries that report to the system of monitoring COVID deaths. The United States has been consistently in the top 20 of COVID deaths per capita. Well, that doesn't make what, you know, so what's the reason? So I compared this to India as a country. So the United States has 330 million people. India has 1.4 billion. In India, the, the population is stacked up like cordwood. Over here, we have a lot of free space in, in everybody's social distancing. Over there, they couldn't social distance. India is in the bottom one-third of the countries reporting. The United States is in the top 20. So what's the reason? Well, the difference is India is using ivermectin, and the United States has essentially outlawed ivermectin. And so their goal is to 
is to kill people. So now they're bonusing hospitals. As Dr. Peter McCullough has said, there's no research component to this pandemic. You know, so why aren't they investing money in research? Why aren't they paying doctors to figure out a better way like Dr. Chetty has done? And there's doctors in the know like Dr. Peter McCullough. There's a whole bunch of them, but they shut them down. And they just keep paying for this protocol. So that's, I had said there's three things that are lining up. So that's the first thing, paying for a protocol that doesn't work. Uh, the second is immunity from liability, which we touched on earlier with how hard it is to, to crack into this idea of holding them accountable. And the third is the shroud of secrecy. So you're going to, when you hear Grace's story, it's it's horrific. But we were there. So just think about stories that, are way more horrific than graces, but nobody knows because the people are being killed and you can't find out the information. So that's what we've got going on. And it's not going to stop with COVID. This case, Grace's case is way more significant than COVID because there's a, a huge agenda that is called the sustainability agenda. And in the sustainability agenda, now I'm kind of getting into the why before going through the story, but in the sustainability agenda, the elites are selling us climate control and health. So most people are familiar with the climate control agenda. You know, they're, if everybody gets an electric car, it's gonna fix everything. Well, how do you get the electricity? Well, you gotta use coal and, and oil to, do, to produce electricity. So, you know, our, but our population is so dumb, they can't connect the dots. And then with health, you know, they want, they want to use the health system to reduce the population because they believe that there's too many people on the planet. And when you connect the dots all the way with the financial piece of that, $2.2 trillion is spent annually on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. The people who are on Medicare and Medicaid are also on Social Security. That adds up to $32,000 a person who is on Social Security and Medicare or Medicaid at the same time. So by paying a $100,000 bonus to the hospitals to take out the disabled and the elderly, which they call useless eaters, not to our face, but they, you know, this is, these are the deplorables that Hillary Clinton called the deplorables. So by taking them out, it's a three-year payback period and helps and helps a, a bankrupt system. Wow. <laughs> I remember early on I was listening to Rush Limbaugh and uh they were getting like thirteen thousand dollars for the patient and another thirty-nine for a COVID death, and that's when I was like, wait a minute. This doesn't yeah, make my sense. Wife my wife had said after we started looking at things that, so they got a $13,000 bonus when Grace died. And she said the Grace was worth more dead than alive. And it's, it is statistically true because we, we denied giving them a um, advanced permission for a ventilator, which you hear when I get into the story. And so then they, they were only making $1,680 a day on Grace. And uh, it's, it's sickening. So let me let me dive in, Mike. I'm just going to walk through this then day by day and, and ultimately spend the most time on Grace's last day. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. It's your show. All right. So October 7th, about midnight, is when Grace and I 
got into the the room on the COVID floor, and uh, it was not a super great night sleep-wise because there was a number of alarms going off. I asked them you know, if they could make the alarms go off at the nurse's station so we could sleep, and they said no, which I found, found out afterward is a lie because when I was in St. Vincent's Hospital, they were able to do it, so it's obviously able to be done, but if they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. The um, the next day on the day of the seventh was really a nice time with Grace. I just kind of expected it was going to be a mini vacation with her and I. So we watched movies and goofed around, and it was it was just nice. Uh, the most significant, uh, maybe the most significant event before Grace's death happened the next morning on October eighth. So a doctor came in on October eighth. And at eight o'clock and said, you're going to need to put your daughter in a ventilator in the next two hours. And I asked him, what is that based on? <laughs> and he said, we did a blood gas draw the night before. So blood gas is a, is a specific blood draw that they do that gives a chemistry that helps uh, determine the, the path that they should take with the patient. So I asked him what time that draw was done. And he said, 1130. And so then what I told him was that at 1130, Grace's blood pressure right before that was 235 over 135, and her heart rate was at 150 beats a minute. And unfortunately, uh, the reason for that was because the hospital switched over from a regular cannula to a high-flow cannula, which shoots air up your nose at about 40 miles an hour, which that was bothering Grace. And so then we worked I worked with the two nurses on staff to get a BiPAP situated so it was a very frustrating thing for Grace and at the end of it I mean it's just typical Grace she knew she was she was bucking us and she gave me a hug and just said sorry dad she was just she was just a great kid anyway um so then I asked the doctor to retake the blood gas draw numbers and he did and she was fine so we dodged the ventilator bullet at that time I asked him during that window, I mean, and this is another take-home message. Most people listening to this message are still not wise relative to ventilators. Ventilators are a necessity with certain diseases when people can't breathe and it's a temporary, a temporary situation. They're using them as standard protocol with COVID, and it's no good relative to COVID. Uh, the doctor, when I asked him the prognosis, he said only 20% of the people walk out of the hospital once they've been on a ventilator. In fact, it's 15%. And even more to the fact pattern is that most of the 15% who walk out after they've been on a ventilator die within the first year. So it is absolutely no good. So I was educated instantly on ventilators. So this paradigm that we all have had on ventilators is back when COVID first hit us you remember everybody was promoting the ventilator shortage and factories were converted to producing ventilators thinking this is how we're going to save everybody. And in fact, it's just the opposite. So I want people to realize that ventilators are no good and they kill people. And so why is the hospital using them? It's purely money. They, they receive a $39,000 bonus when they put a person on a ventilator. And at that time, they get an ICU bonus because the patient now becomes ICU classified. Uh, they also need to get on sedation, so they get a sedation bonus. And the average hospital stay for somebody on a ventilator is 22 days. So when you add up all the bonuses, 
and the insurance reimbursement and patient pay, it approximates $300,000 the hospital receives by convincing the patient or their advocate to be put on a ventilator. So one more piece of that story on the ventilator, not that morning, but uh, subsequent to that event, the hospital attempted to convince us um, to give them advance permission, so like a pre-approval, to put a ventilator on Grace just in case. And I'm putting just in case in air quotes because they framed it this way. They said these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of the family. So they wanted our pre-approval. My wife had the medical power of attorney. So they wanted my wife to sign off on a pre-approval to put Grace on a ventilator if the hospital decided that she needed it. Grace was never a ventilator candidate, not ever close. But that pressure was, was there. In fact, I believe personally that's why they decided to take her out the last day because that morning you'll hear that we denied that pre-approval process for the fifth time. So now we, we move to um, October 9th. And I started feeding Grace. Uh, she was hungry. I, you know, Grace obviously could eat herself, but not with a BiPAP mask on. So I ordered food, started feeding her. A nurse ran in and said, Scott, you, gotta, you can't feed her. I said, well, what's the reason? And she said, well, because her, her oxygen saturation is only at 85%. And so I started processing that. And, and it's maybe 20, 30 minutes, I thought, I, this can't be true. She was in the high 90s in the emergency room with just a regular cannula. Now we have a, a BiPAP mask on. I, since I suspected I would get COVID while I was in the hospital with Grace, I had all my COVID materials, which included my own oxygen sat meter. So I put it on Grace and the oxygen saturation meter read 95%. So I called the nurse in and asked her if my meter was accurate. And she said it was. So I said, well, why is my $50 meter more accurate than your $50,000 meter? And she said, well, because the leads get sweaty. So then I pressed it further and said, well, if that's a known fact, why don't you proactively change the leads out every three or four hours or whatever it takes? Since this is the primary statistic you're, you're using to determine my daughter's care. And she responded snottily, you should just be thankful you caught this. So now we got wise to the oxygen myself. Myself and Jessica, we got wise to it and we were testing it regularly. And, and you know, there was a, a few times it was on and I would say on is within five points, but it was often off by a substantial margin. In fact, on Grace's last day, it was off by 40 points. Uh, the hospital was 40 points lower than the, the, the meter that we were using. And so you think, well, why would they do that? And I believe, so now I'm speculating here, but I believe the reason they do that to arbitrarily lower oxygen with faulty equipment. And by the way, I, when we received the invoice, I asked for the invoice they sent to Medicaid on Grace. They only replaced those leads three times in seven days. So even though I challenged it, they did nothing with the challenge. Uh, so why would they arbitrarily lower the oxygen? Well, just think about it. You get a call that your grandpa or Uncle Jim died and they say, well, he died of COVID. So then you dig and you find find out, well, he got put on a ventilator. So then you ask, well, why did he get put on a ventilator? Well, now, if they are arbitrarily able to lower the oxygen numbers through faulty equipment, 
they can justify the ventilator. Because if Uncle Jim is only at 70% oxygen, when he's really at 90, now they say, well, look at his oxygen. He, he was only, he only has oxygen 70%, so he had to do a ventilator, which is crazy. You first have to start with accurate numbers. So now we move into October 10th and seven o'clock in the morning. This was a Sunday morning, October 10th. The head nurse came into the room with an armed guard and said to me, you need to leave immediately. And I said, well, what is that based on? And she said, number one, you've been shutting off the alarms at night. And I, my, I defended myself relative to that claim because I told her the nurses trained me how to do it. They train me how to shut off the non-essential alarms because they're going off 20, 30 times a night. And it was often 20 to 25 minutes before they'd come in and shut them off. So they trained me how to do it. And then she said, second of all, the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room. And so, you know, that's pretty obvious based on what I just got done telling you with the stories. You know, I was, I wasn't just sitting in an easy chair. I was paying attention to what's going on. And then third, which is laughable, this is their official excuse for, for kicking me out, is that she, she said, we suspect you have COVID. Well, no kidding, I have COVID. You're the ones who told me I was going to get COVID. And, and in fact, I already had COVID since one o'clock on October 7th. That's when I tested myself. So, I mean, if that was honestly a concern, why didn't they test me? Uh, but they, you know, obviously they had to create an excuse to get me out of there. And so the armed guard walked me to my truck um, after about an hour that she said, we're, if you don't leave right now, we're calling the Appleton police. And ultimately I left peacefully at that time. I mean, I've second guessed it, of course, many, many times, uh, especially the first two months after Grace died. That why didn't I take Grace with me? And my wife has brought it up in, in that same context and that we never left Grace alone. And so this was the first time we ever left Grace alone. And if I would have taken her home with me that day, she'd be alive. Uh, so now we we got into the next phase, which is we had no advocate for 44 hours. Um, unbeknownst to us, they started a drug, a sedation drug called Presidex. When we started studying the records, we saw that they started her on a Presidex protocol on October 9th. They kept her on it and increased the dose during the window when we didn't have advocacy coverage. Grace never needed a sedation drug. The sedation drug Presidex is so bad that it has a package insert that says to not use more than 24 hours. The nurses who we've talked to who are in the know, the anesthesia nurses, tell us that that is an anesthesia drug and the maximum time it should ever be used is three hours. They had Grace on it for four days prior to her last day. Grace was a calm kid. She was a wonderful kid. Uh, the time when I was in the hospital with her, um, she was relaxed other than the, the two, three hours when we were wrestling with the BiPAP mask that first night. Otherwise, she wasn't. She didn't have anxiety or anything relative to the hospital stay. Uh, as we had a malpractice nurse look at the, the detailed records for Grace's care, and her conclusion after studying them was that they chemically restrained Grace. That's the legal term. 
So that's illegal. So they chemically restrained her in order to set up her death. So now Jessica, we knew we had to hire Grace's special needs attorney to negotiate with the hospital attorney to get a replacement advocate in. So again, we're we're outside the rule box. Why do we have to waste time negotiating? Jessica should have just been able to replace me instantly. So we had 44 hours without an advocate. When we get into the second to last day, which is October 12th, Jessica and Grace just had a, a nice time together, just like Grace and I did. They just did the sister things, watch a movie, and uh, Grace had a great day. Uh, in fact, so much so, uh, when she sat up at night, she sat up at night before they went to sleep, and Jessica called her two boys, Grace's nephews, on FaceTime, and Grace sat up and hollered through the BiPAP mask, hi, boys, just typical Grace. And Jessica was watching her oxygen all night. It was 98, 99 all night long. Now we get into Grace's last day, which is pretty significant. You know, right now it's there's enough weird things that you think, wow, this is this is scary stuff going to a hospital, but it gets really bad now. So eight o'clock in the morning on Grace's last day, the doctor called us at home and he was following up on a phone call that we had the night before regarding this pre-approval process for the ventilator again. And we told him no again. And I think that was enough. They finally realized that this family isn't going to buy into a ventilator. Remember, Grace never needed a ventilator. This was just for a pre-authorization. He made the comment that Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should uh, put a feeding tube in. And you're going to hear how that fits into the story here in a bit on her last day. So why did she need a feeding tube? Well, she was malnutrition because they wouldn't let me feed her. They wouldn't let Jessica feed her. And even though she could have been fed, there's absolutely no reason she couldn't have been fed while she was in there. The nurses only gave her a few protein shakes versus feeding her. So now she, even though she had a, a pick line in, so she could have been fed TPN food through a bag, the doctor convinced us that that really isn't a good way to do it because of the potential for bacteria. So we agreed to this feeding tube. So now... The sequence of events gets pretty pretty hairy. So Jessica told the nurse that was on duty that day, this is a 14-year ICU nurse, and uh, she's the one who delivered the meds to, to kill Grace. She said she's going to take a shower. Uh, she insisted, the ICU nurse insisted that Jessica go home to take a shower. When I was in the room, they insisted I not leave. There was a shower in the room. So while Jess, Jessica felt she was going to be in the hospital three, four days with Je with Grace, so she went home, took a shower. When she came back less than an hour later, she overheard two doctors and this nurse in the hallway say, the family isn't going to like this. So she said, what isn't the family going to like? And she said, we had to restrain Grace, which means strap her down to the bed. So remember, they were already chemically restraining her. Now they physically restrained her. So Jessica asked why, and they said because she wanted to get out of bed and go to the bathroom. That's sickening. So they made her go to the bathroom in the bed. One of the attorneys we were working with, when I was talking to him about this, he said, do you think that you would have been strapped down to the bed, Scott, if you wanted to go to the bathroom? And I said, absolutely not. So it dawned on me, they did this because they could. 
because Grace had Down syndrome and she wasn't going to fight back. That just wasn't her personality. Consistent with the fact that she didn't need to be sedated. She doesn't, she doesn't fight back. She just does what she's told. So that Sunday after he made that comment, I went through all the doctor's records another time. And I looked just for the words Down syndrome or trisomy 21 or some reference to Down syndrome. So 22 doctors visited Grace while she was in the hospital. I know that because there's 22 doctors reports. They referenced the fact that Grace had Down syndrome 36 different times. So just think that through. Is that necessary? That's like, Mike, you going into the hospital and they reference the fact that you're a male. Do they need to keep referencing it 36 different times? I mean, one time is enough. So it's various. it got me clued in to that. You know, I, I believe that her disability is the primary reason that she was taken out. So now uh, the next thing that happens, so now they use the excuse for the strapping down to increase the sedation drug dose, the Presidex dose. Without hesitation, Grace's numbers are now not doing too well. One of the nurses said to the ICU nurse, I think we should wait for the feeding tube till Grace rebounds. The ICU nurse didn't want to wait. So they put the feeding tube in next. Now they use that as the next excuse to ratchet up the Presidex. At 10.48 in the morning, they had Grace on maximum dose of Presidex. So now she's out of it. So in spite of the fact that she's out of it, they gave her a dose of lorazepam, which is an anxiety med, at 11.25. Now we get into the last 29 minutes of the lethal doses. So now she's at 546. She's on max dose of Presidex. They gave her another dose of lorazepam. At 549, three minutes later, another dose. At 615, they gave her a dose of morphine as an IV push, which means instantaneously. We have an intensivist who wrote to me. He's a, an intensivist, is a specialist in med combinations. And he wrote to me and said, Scott, the meds killed your daughter. Mike, you and I could not have survived that cocktail of meds. The doctor who helped us review the reports wrote to me after she reviewed everything and wrote this. I'm just going to tell it to you. All this research is on the website, ouramazinggrace.net. So you don't have to try to take any of this down. Everything is on, on the website. What she wrote to me is this, each of these meds, Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine on their own have an increased risk of serious or life-threatening breathing problems and cardiac arrest, and there's an additive effect when used in combination. To use them like they did in a person with a diagnosis of acute respiratory distress is beyond believable as to intention. So she believes, just based on that combination of meds, they intentionally killed Grace. And it gets substantially worse. So now, next, so the morphine package insert, which is the rules they're supposed to follow with morphine, say to not use those drugs in combination because it causes death. Furthermore, on the package insert, it says to keep the reversal drug bedside and the, and to monitor the patient. They did neither of those. In Within a half hour after they gave her the dose of morphine, Jessica noticed that Grace was getting cold. So she got a hold of that ICU nurse that I referenced earlier and asked about it and said, can you take a temperature? And she said, well, that's normal. And just gave Jessica a blanket for Grace. Well, it's normal if you want to kill somebody. A 
at 7.20, Jessica called Cindy and I on a FaceTime call panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, I've been trying. They will not come in the room. She estimated 30 nurses outside the room at that point in time because of shift change. So now Cindy and I start hollering, save our daughter. And they holler back to us, she's DNR, do not resuscitate. Wow. We holler, she's not DNR, save our daughter. So right there is a, uh, one of the, the many violations of the state statute with DNR. By Cindy and I saying she's not DNR, save our daughter, if there was a DNR order on her, even if we placed it, which we did not, it would override it. Jessica ran out in the hall about 722, she estimated, and a, a nurse read off the computer. I'm just going to find it right here so you know exactly what she said. Uh, one nurse, this is out of Jessica's report that she wrote. One nurse read off what the computer stated and that the doctor labeled her as a DNR, which they claimed they could do nothing about. So the doctor ordered the DNR on Grace. The nurses chose to follow the doctor's order versus our order to save our daughter. Every, every single medical professional who's looked at this said all they had to do was deliver the reversal drug and, and Grace wouldn't have died. But they wouldn't do it. And it, Mike, if it couldn't get worse, it does. So now I, I uh, took Cindy to the hospital after Grace died and her and, and Jess cleaned Grace up. And our pastor met us there and the funeral director met us there. I stayed in the truck because I had COVID. The pastor walked Cindy out in a wheelchair after they were all done. And one of the nurses had Grace's belongings in a cart. And she leaned down and said to Cindy, whisper, said in her ear, not whispered, but said in her ear, me and several of the other nurses don't think Grace should have died today. That, that is why we're doing all the research. I have personally about 500 hours of research already uh, to figure out what the heck happened here. It gets, even to put an exclamation point on this whole story, after we talked with Jessica, after we were done that evening, she told us there was an armed guard outside the room. So what do you think of the reason there, where there was an armed guard outside the room? Yeah, I, don't, I can't answer that. You know, I believe it was to prevent any nurse with a conscience from coming in and, and saving our daughter. It could have been a fear of me coming back. It could have been a fear of Jessica going and grabbing one of the nurses to save Grace. But we know it wasn't just a, an armed guard walking past because after Grace died, Jessica crawled in bed with her and laid with her for about 20 minutes. And the armed guard stood outside the nurse's window and watched the entire time. So that's the whole story. We're going to dive into the why next, but Mike, do you have any questions before we talk about why they, why I believe they did this? No, I don't want to bring any more uh, torment to your spirit, but when we do Q and a, I know a lot of the members will have questions, but what it seemed to me when that nurse came out and whispered to your wife's ear, that was a cry out to letting you guys know the nefarious things of what they did. So that one nurse definitely had a spirit in the soul. I'm of course, super thankful for her. I, uh, I wish she would have taken it all the way and saved grace. Of course, she would have been fired for doing that, but you know, grace would, you know, it's, it's, it's sickening. 
I can't say that Grace would still be alive today because they, at least we would have gotten her out because it's still at, you know, up until we said she's not DNR, up until that point, we still trusted the white coat. You know, you don't go into a hospital thinking they're wanting to kill you. True. So as we dive into the why, I just, I want to hit a few bullet points here so, so people can connect the dots. So some other anomalies in the doctor's reports that are really interesting. They reference the fact that Grace was not vaccinated six times. They reference that we were Christian three times. They reference that we were following the frontline doctor's misinformation campaign four times. They reference that Grace had low oxygen saturation 19 times. But remember why they had she had low oxygen saturation based on my story. The head COVID doctor on that in St. Elizabeth's Hospital, his name is Dr. Zyman. In his report of October 8th, so that's Grace's second day, he wrote, he, the father, me, believes in the frontline doctor stuff and does not really believe or trust us here in the healthcare setting, which I believe is going to be to the detriment of his daughter, to be honest. So they, they obviously had a bias towards non-vaccinated Christian frontline doctors followers, and then you throw in Down syndrome to boot, and it's almost like you don't have a chance. Uh, so, I mean, that is is a clear, clear bias to this. As it fits into this, as I mentioned before, the sustainability agenda, Dr. Elizabeth Valit has come out and publicly talked through that piece very eloquently. And she calls it attenuated care, which means rationed care. So this idea that we need to ration care has been around for quite a while but they don't go public with it. They're never going to say publicly that, you know, people that are on disability or um, are elderly are have a lower value to society. So then we should ration care to them, but how they're doing it now through COVID as a cover. And it, it's, they're going to have a different cover after COVID assuming COVID ever goes away, but they're, they have this as a goal to, to take out the useless eaters. This is genocide. And so how can I prove it? Well, remember, we already are following a protocol for two years that hasn't changed and kills people. We have immunity from liability. We have a shroud of secrecy because there's no advocates in the room. So now you, when you take all of that together and then you realize that Inside of five seconds of checking into the room, the hospital knows what your insurance status is. 100% of the elderly, well, not 100%, but close to 100% of the elderly are on Medicare. Close to 100% of the disabled are on Medicaid. So they know who to take out without saying a word. When we first did the first pass on all the research, which was hundreds of pages. We sent all of that research to the hospital requesting a meeting. We did that on November 8th. On December 2nd, they wrote back and said, we're not going to meet with you at that point. So I, I thought that was our biblical responsibility to meet with them and show them what we had to see if they would repent. When they said they didn't want to meet, I show, I took that as the green light 
God was giving us the green light to move forward. So that day, December 2nd, I filed a claim with the regulatory department for the hospital and the regulatory department for the doctor. And I also sent a couple paragraph summary to Fox and Newsmax. And that's how this whole story got started is Newsmax called. And on December 13th, I was on national TV. And then it just kept going from, from there. God just keeps opening doors. But that doesn't really matter, the doors that have been opened. What matters is that what they did, they did an investigation of the doctor. They did an investigation of the hospital. I'm going to read from the Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services. This is the licensing, licensing division for the doctor. So if you spend any time on the website under the tragedy tab, you'll see the research is exhaustive. Uh, it's, it's hard to believe how much there is against what they did. I sent it all in, all that research in and more when, with the complaint. And they wrote back, I'm going to quote the letter here, Mike. The details of the complaint were reviewed and evaluated by a screening panel made up of members of the regulatory authority for the profession and or a department attorney. So that's your first clue. It wasn't objective. They didn't bring any outsiders in to investigate. Based on the review and evaluation of the complaint and other materials, a decision was made that the information presented, this is all the research, hundreds of pages. The information presented does not warrant further investigation. So now we have the government investigating the hospital, which I believe is doing the government's bidding. So it's the equivalent of the government investigating the government. So of course they find themselves not guilty. So that's why I think God is giving us this opportunity. I've been on over 50 programs already, Mike, and I will do up to five a day, uh, six days a week, just to get this message out. People need to know it and they need to know it for two reasons. Number one, they need to know it because they need to be prepared. And this story helps people be prepared. But there's a way bigger picture. They need to know this because we're hopeful it pricks people's hearts to realize they've been duped. Our government is not in their best interest. And the only person who is ever in their best interest is God. And if it pricks their hearts to start looking toward God, God is calling them. Can He can use this story. He can use any way to call them. But start digging. You're going to come to the truth the same way that I did many, many years ago, is that God loves you, he cares about you, and he wants you to um, be one of his. And you'll come to the fact that you realize that Jesus Christ is the only one that will ever be true and the only one you can ever trust. So that's what we're hoping happens with this story, is that more people more people turn to him. Uh, and of course, we hope that the doctor and nurse repent. I mean, that would be a major victory if the doctor and nurse who killed Grace came out and and repented. I I, I would be the it would just I would be so super happy. It would just be wonderful. Yeah, I can imagine the pain and uh, the agony. I lost my aunt last year as well, and a similar story i mean she had copd so i mean she was the perfect candidate for them to have a cover story for why covid took her out but um there was a lot of nefarious things and 
I won't go in too deep, but you know, my brother was on the phone with her the day before I got the phone call to FaceTime her. And um she is like another mother to me, so it, it it was pretty tough. And um so she's on the phone with my brother and the doctor was in the room and she goes, the doctor told her, Oh yeah, you're doing good. You'll be able to go home um in a couple days and she was like yeah she was excited because she was scared you know and she tells my brother she's like yeah i'll be able to go home on monday wow that's good news i mean he said her oxygen everything was good so i got the good news and i'm like cool i'm like i was like thank you jesus and the next day i was delivering and my mom calls me up and she goes you need to FaceTime your aunt. She can't breathe on her own. I said, what? I was like, wait a minute. They, they, they just said she's going to be going home and everything was good. And I'm like, no, this can't be. And at the time, I was listening to the conservative radio talk where um, Vicki McKenna, she's having Dr. Zelenko, um, Richard, uh, Richard Bartlett, I believe his name was. Yeah, that's uh, he's, he's a good man. And he was talking about the bedesonide. So I'm like, shit. I'm like, all right, man, I got to go. I hung up. I called my younger cousin because they moved to North Carolina and she was with my cousin. And I said, listen, your mom has to get on bedesonide. I said, you got to get a hold of this Richard Bartlett doctor. And I'm trying, I, I just parked my delivery truck. I didn't even care. I was sitting there for about four or five hours trying to find his information and the next you know my cousin calls me up crying hysterically she's like, i got a hold of him i got a hold of him i got everything i need to go to to give the doctor i'm not going to go into further detail i will probably talk to you in private on the rest of the story but you know the doctors kept trying to go trying to like down talk it you know and and the, the bedesonide would have helped my aunt's lungs but with everything that I know now, it was not natural. Um, I believe they caused her lungs to not operate right to where she had to go on a breathing machine. And then I don't even like to think about it, but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad, you know? And, and I think a lot of people have them stories in their families, but it it really bothers me when I hear a 19-year-old girl with Down syndrome and, and they did this, you know. Um, it's really terrible, but it's awesome to have stories like this be told. Everybody hears it. Hopefully this touches the masses, even the ones that are, are sleeping, that still believes in the mainstream media, Dr. Fauci, these politicians. And these stupid doctors, you know, I have an aunt that's very conservative and, and her doctors, you know, pretty much scared her to get the vaccine. And so I went out to eat with her recently and she tells me that her doctor apologized to her. Wow. So he, that's, he uh, that's, a, that's wonderful. But, you know, it's it's just sad that we're we're in this situation. Um, but. I think we're learning now and these stories are made to be told to learn how to fix our situations going forward. And 
man, I, I send so many prayers to you, strength for you and your wife. Um, I can't imagine losing a child. My nephew um, died in a tragic car accident when he was 14 years old. And I don't know how my brother and my niece does it. And I have to hold my tears in a little bit because he's like my little brother. And uh, I don't only go to my brother's house much because of that. So I really honor you, your wife, and, and my brother and my sister-in-law because I would lose it. Um, I don't even think I'm strong enough to, to handle that. So I, I give you got a, a lot of respect and you have my support 100%. I mean, that's. Well, uh, Mike, terrible. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be putting me up that high. The only reason I can do this is because God did it. So during the window between um, Grace's death and December 2nd, God had to. You know, you can't forgive somebody who kills your daughter, but God can. And so he he got my heart right so that I could I could tell this story. And he's the one doing it. I mean, he put, uh, we, we have a fantastic PR director now that's helping because this is, it's getting to be, it's, it's too much for a person to handle on their own. And so God just keeps opening the door. So our, our PR man is, is a, is a great man of God. And, you know, that was a door that opened and so many of the, you know, just, it's, it's been great, but it's, it's God doing it. So I don't, I, I am not uh, wanting to even have people reference that uh, anything but God doing it because that's the fact you could do the same thing, Mike, anybody can once they, once they know that they're called to do this. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's why I do what I do. Um, I work full time. I'm just a father, delivery driver. And um, one day God spoke to me. I mean, even during this pandemic, I'm not, <laughs> a pandemic, um, my cousin, she owns an Italian restaurant. And during the pandemic, I realized I'm an essential worker. And I, I it was it bothered me to see so many people out of work. And God spoke to me and he says, Hey, you can pay your mortgage. You can pay your cars paid off. You got extra money, you know, help out those in need. And and I was delivering food dinners for people that were out of work. You know, I couldn't give them a lot of money, but I fed a lot of people, you know, and next thing you know, <laughs> I was getting inboxes. This is when I was on fake book and <laughs> relatives say, Hey, what's your address? I'm going to send you a check, but I want to remain anonymous. And I'm like, this is not why I did it. I, I, I didn't do it to, to generate money. I, I was just, I just did it out. God told me to do it. I just did it out of my heart, you know, and before you know it, I had several thousand dollars and I helped a lot of people out. And around that time, my cousin's husband um, was fixing on an air conditioner a central air unit and was electrocuted to death and oh my God. it happened unexpectedly and I had a couple hundred dollars left out of that money to where I was able to give to my cousin to go towards the funeral and um and then the God I had another conversation with him again you know and he says as I seen how the media was going black he says you know build this platform for 
my people to receive information. And that's the only reason why I do what I do, you know, and it's, it's God's movement right now. I, I can't even say any more than that. And I know God is, 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 is really strengthening your spirit. And I know that it was God that strengthened my brother and my sister-in-law spirit. I guess I would probably just need some time alone to strengthen my spirit. But I, I, I know you don't want to be put up on the pedestal, but I'm going to be honest. I, I give you, I give you a lot of respect and I give my brother and my sister-in-law a lot of respect because that's, that's, that's pretty hard. It's terrible too. Well, I'm thankful that I, I actually have the time. Uh, I, uh, I always thought that everything for our business was related to take care of grace after Cindy and I died. And, uh, so I have invested a lot of years training, training my guys and they're running the business now so I can do this. Uh, so that's, that's really what's facilitated it. It's hard to even grasp that, that I can spend six days a week on, on doing this, but that's what it takes. I mean, if to get this message out, it, it's, uh, it's become a full-time job plus, and it's, it's wonderful. Yes, I agree. Well, Scott, if, are you, uh, do you got some time to, for Q&A? Sure. If people have questions, I'm glad to answer them. If anybody has a question, if you press the middle button, um, we can call on you. And Carol, you're up. Hi, Scott. First of all, what a story. I, I'm just appalled by that. Um, I live in Wisconsin on the other side of the state and I was just looking at uh, hotel rooms. Can you give me an address for St. Elizabeth so I can get one that's somewhat close? Yep, it's 1506. Uh, I'll tell you exactly. It is 1506 South Oneida Street, Appleton, 54915. Are you going to come to the rally? Yep. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, the rally is October yeah, 8th. My, or not I, October 8th. It's I, April April 8th uh, from 9 to noon. Friday the 8th from 9 to noon. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just looking at uh, hotel rooms for actually the weekend. It's like, heck, if we're going to go down there for that, we can make a whole weekend of it. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I'm bringing my son with me. He's 27, so, and he's blind, so. Um, oh, anyway, wow. yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I just, my heart's breaking. Oh, thank you, Carol. They would do that. I, I, uh, I, I understand. I mean, it's not very many days go by when, when we don't cry. I mean, we miss Grace terribly. I mean, she was my best buddy. My wife was with her. I wish I would have known her. She looks absolutely beautiful. Uh, she was beautiful, and uh, she she just she was a great kid. I mean, we you know we you just got to look at it that we our Lord had her on loan to us for nineteen years, and uh, you know we did an awful lot in nineteen years, but He had a bigger purpose. Otherwise, you really can't go on if you don't believe in that. And, uh, right. I think his bigger purpose was to use grace to save other people's lives, and uh, so that's why I'm I'm more than 
willing and happy to do any program that'll have me on because of that. So thanks a lot, Carol. If um, I sure would like to meet you and your son when during the event, it's going to be pretty packed. We expect, but um, I'll uh, it'll be easy to spot me because I'll be up on the, the podium. And then after we're done, after we're walking around, please take the time and find me and introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. I sure will. Well, thank you very much. All right. If any, anybody else have a question, press the middle button. Or if you have any words for Scott, um, I will go to Jen H first. Jen H, would you like to say something to Scott? Oh, thanks. Yes, I would love to. Hi, Scott. Hi, um, Jen. Thanks for coming on tonight. And oh gosh, a couple of things for you. So, like, I was trying to pick up and go back to the beginning of your story. So I know that you guys said you were prepared going it, well, like prepared, you know, at home with, I think you said like hydroxychloroquine and things like that. At, at any point in the hospital, like, did you have any idea that they were venting people? Did you, were you prepared for that battle to come up or was that completely new to you? And then at any point, did you get like you know, odd feelings like this is something is like really off here, or did that not come until later? Uh, that's a great question. So you got multiple questions there. So the, I would have had the ventilator paradigm that I was explaining going in that, you know, ventilators, there's, you know, I didn't have a reason to think they're bad, but then when the doctor told me there was only a 20% chance of walking out after you're on a ventilator. Well, now I, I started doing some homework. I was there and what really clued me in is the nurse, the attending nurse that morning with the doctor started crying. And so I was able to talk to her afterward and asked her why she was crying. And she had a daughter named Grace also. And she knew that if I made that decision, Grace was going to die. And, you know, ultimately she died anyway, but then, you know, I got wise to ventilators pretty quick. Uh, after Grace died and I started doing all this research is when I realized what's the re what's the motivation behind the ventilator because you know you think well this doesn't make any sense if there's just a 15% chance and most of those people die why are they keep pushing it and uh, you know after the fact is when we connected the dots all the way was there did I answer your whole question I forgot the other part yeah, you did. I just, I was trying to pick up on that going through. Cause I mean, you've clearly done a ton of research and know everything right. Like now. So I was, you know, and I knew you were prepared going in. So I just kind of wondered your knowledge going in. Um, it is, you know, your daughter is beautiful and, um, oh gosh, I had another point I was going to tell you, I'm going to send you some information offline, um, regarding the lawsuit. Have you also connected with Dr. Artis or Thomas Renz? Yeah, both. Uh, it, okay. As God would have it, I was on um, both their programs, and Tom Renz had me on twice. He fell in love with Grace. Uh, I I met Tom personally then in Canton, Ohio, a month or so ago, and when I saw him the first time, I just ran up and gave him a hug because he he after the first time I met him, he gave over uh, his program, he gave me his personal cell phone in confidence and. Uh, he was pretty blown away by the research, but ultimately he he ended up getting us involved with the nurse uh, malpractice uh, 
the malpractice nurse that reviewed the records that I referenced during the conversation. And it, it looks like his involvement and his team is behind us enough that, you know, I think this, this case is going to go where we're going to get, we're going to get some justice. And, um, and I was talking with one of the attorneys on his team uh, this afternoon, in fact, and we got some real good news that I, I don't want to share it publicly at this point yet, but it was, it was just wonderful to hear. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing, honestly. And I, I think with, you know, your daughter's story, and then I'll just finish this really quickly, but I think hearing, you know, the Down syndrome, um, you know, with your daughter, it gives people like a new compassion because, you know, you read so many comments. This is, they've killed so many people. You know, when you read, watch podcasts and read the comments from everyone, I mean, they're, they killed my father, they killed this person. But I think with your story and your daughter, knowing that they had an advocate, it gives a different sort of compassion and an awareness. So thank you for sharing it. And I do think, Scott, God is using you for this time and her story. And so I just, um, I, I see God's glory all over this. So thank you so much. And looking forward to kind of hearing how the rally goes and everything. But thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jen. If we have any members that want to say something or has a question for Scott, if you press the middle button, we can see that your hands are raised. I'll jump in here. All right, Tammy, you can go after for the win. Hey, Scott. Um, very, very sorry what happened to your daughter. Um, you got to definitely you know, make things right, that's for sure. I, I live here in also. I will be there. Next Friday. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. I've been to that hospital before too. And yeah, this whole Appleton area, I mean, it's interesting, weird things to it overall too. So, um, you know, Houdini, a lot of weird things, but um, yeah, I'll be there uh, next Friday, the 8th. So I'll see you then. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, you know, we're, we're trying to make this quite a big thing. Eh? It's another miracle. So look at the list of speakers. How did that happen? I mean, we just decided Kevin, our PR man, is the one who had the, the thought of, hey, should we do a protest rally? And, you know, he's thinking it's just going to be this thing with 50 people and signs, which, I mean, that's what I thought it would be, too. And all Oh, it's going to be huge. Well, I mean, all of a sudden you got people, you know, Dr. Artis, Instantly, you know, he said, I'm going to fly in. And then it's like, what? What's going on here? So, I mean, all of a sudden, <laughs> so we're planning for, I mean, we're, you know, we're shutting down a whole street. The city of Appleton has approved us shutting down a street. And, um, you know, we're expecting 500 plus people now. Yeah, I've seen your billboards all too. So, they're powerful. <laughs> they're hitting home. A lot of people, especially the one on 47. Yeah, thank you for that. That's kind of a funny story how those those came about. We uh, in this process of figuring out if we're going to do a lawsuit, one of the attorneys, I asked him if we wrote you a check for two hundred fifty thousand, what would you do with it? He said, "I wouldn't take your money because we can't win." And it, it's and I explained that earlier. Basically, there's it's very tough to win cases because the you know it's the deck is stacked against you. And so he said, you'd be better off spending your money on billboards. So then, you know, he didn't realize that that's kind of my personality. So then when we got the first one up, I sent him a picture 
And he said, well, I never thought you would do that. And, and I said, well, I wasn't too worried about it because if we get sued over the billboards, I'm just going to tell them you're the one who told me. You know, and it's, it's absolutely sickening too off of 41 and Lord, how all these major health insurance companies are making these massive um, home quarters, headquarters they're building everywhere. Like United healthcare is like, too like it's just sickening like you know what these people did it looks like las vegas right i mean it's those buildings look like the the bellagio in las vegas i mean they're it's unbelievable well this is only the start my friend so we'll we'll get it right thanks for the support i really appreciate it you're welcome tammy you're up Scott, um, I'm so Hi, emotional Tammy. that I was like, don't want to talk. <laughs> uh, Mike's podcast does this to me sometimes. Um, first, I want to say, like, God bless you for being able to, like, push forward. And I'm so glad that you have God in your life. Um, secondly, I'm incredibly sorry for your loss. And I hope 5,000 people show up, not 500. I'm in Louisiana. But if I was there, I promise you I would be there. I fully support what you guys are doing. I think it's great that you're doing the rallies slash protests and bringing awareness. And I hope after this that there's millions more people that find out about how corrupt and disgusting the medical field is that did this to your daughter. And I'll be praying for you. Oh, boy. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. You know, these type of things, I I wish there was more call-in programs. Mike, this is a real gift. You know, it's, uh, it's there's some lonely days. I mean, we we get emails just about every day and people are encouraging, but you know, it's, there's some long days. I've got a couple hours of work yet tonight after, after I'm done here. It just, um, you know, this, but you got to keep going. And so to hear these comments, it's just, it's really wonderful. So thank you. And I have one more question. Um, are you guys going to be like live streaming on your website or like YouTube or anything like that? Um, I don't know the answer to that. If it's so, I, I uh, Kevin, our PR man, knows the answer to that. And um, Kevin, you, Kevin, you are unmuted. If you want to answer that question to Tammy. I know Children's Health Defense said they're going to give us the their key, so I believe we are going to live live stream on their channel. We need to get RSBM there. Yeah, I, we are professionally um, taping it, and so there will be it will be available to to review after the fact. It's just we had to go to that level for sound and everything because of, of you know the speakers and how many people we're expecting. So we we hired the company to do that this last week so that we can we can have that going. But the live streaming I think is going to happen, but I don't know how exactly that's going to happen yet. Yeah, I think if Doctor Artis uh, reached out to Mike Lindell and told Mike Lindell, right side broadcasting will definitely be there. <laughs>
Well, that's in, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I'm gonna just write that down. Kevin, if you're on, you can. I don't know if you're on or not. Um, Mike just said you're. He thinks you're on, and if you are, if you know the answer to that, otherwise. Uh, let me give you my email. You can email me and I'll respond. I'll get the answer and respond. My email is scott at ouramazinggrace.net. So I'll definitely get you an answer. I just don't know the answer right now. And Tina, you're up. Hey, Scott. Um, Hi, wow. Tina. Hi. I just want to say that I'm so thankful to God that this beautiful girl had such amazing parents, such amazing father that loved her so much because I've seen some Down syndrome children that have been put in homes and not very well taken care of and have had a really rough life. So it really touches my heart. I have several friends with either siblings or children um and and they're beautiful like they don't they don't realize anything bad in the world it's always good and when i went um through your website and i found this beautiful picture of your daughter and her kitty i <laughs> i couldn't help just staring at it and um i know you sent another picture but i was like this is the one i just had to have this picture in um, when I was reading some of your comments about her, where um, it said that Grace was always saying, this is the life. This is the yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I could she just, just see her, like, in my mind, I could just see her saying that. Well, she, that, and she, I would, and a I, lot of times we do, a, you know, a whole series of things in a day, and I would ask her, what was your favorite part of the day, Grace? And she would say the same answer every time she said everything you know, she she just thought everything was so much fun uh she's just just gorgeously beautiful and and i know that she loved animals and you know that they missed her when she was gone just as much as you guys and um i i loved on here i want to read it i don't know if you touched because i missed the first part but Oh, how she touched so many people's lives and hearts. Her friends and our family will never forget her love, caring heart, humor, big hugs, underarm tickles, noogies, fearlessness, excitement for life, and joyful spirit. Grace ran her race and crossed the finish line a winner. And she did. She was a winner on earth with you as her beautiful father. And, you know, I... I just can't wait until you are reunited with her. And um, I can just see you guys running up to each other and having, uh, anyway, that's all. I just, you know, thank <laughs> well, you thank, so much. Thank Your you. story is so touching and thank you for coming on. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the encouragement. Anybody else have a question or would like to say something to Scott? If you press the middle button, we can see your hand raised. Faith Gal, did you have anything? I can, um, 
I don't really have a question, but I can pray for you and your family. I pray, Lord, that you, um, Lord, I pray that you bless this family, surround them with your peace, love, and joy. We thank you, Lord, for the life that Grace had with them, Lord. We, we know, Lord, that you got her in your hands, Lord, and you're taking care of her now, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you put more people in their path to help get this, these, get the, I pray, Lord, that you people in their path to help them on their way with the legal issues they have at stake, Lord, to get justice for grace, Lord. I, I want you to bless this family, Lord. Bless them and every and each and every person in their family, Lord. In Jesus' name, surround them with your love. And we thank you. Amen. Yeah, thank you very much for that. With that being said, doesn't look like we have too many more hand raises. And I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, we're almost going on two hours, Scott. Really thanks a, a lot. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike. No, there's there's <laughs> no issues on that one. I, I want to bring you back again so more people can hear this story because uh <clears throat> it needs to touch a lot, you know. Because there's a there's you know <clears throat> what's really crazy, Scott, is there's a lot of families out there that you know the media they're really good at being 50 steps ahead of every narrative. Yes. And there's people that think that this stuff is a conspiracy and the hospitals are doing the right thing and not understanding that they were giving cocktails to put people to sleep. I mean, they were doing a form of Dr. Kevorkian and getting paid and they they set it up to where there could be no witnesses. I mean, if if yep. that person go rob a bank and have no witnesses there, that's what they want, you know. If they, people killing people in Milwaukee every day and they don't get caught because there's no witnesses, you know, it's like, why did they make it to they where loved ones could not be in the hospital? That's what bothered me the most. That's uh, that's right on. I mean, it provides the ultimate cover. Um, the, the bank robbery example is really good. It's, this is real stuff. That's why we're telling the story. And that's really why I posted the research, you know, as you st we started going into it. And one of the radio programs said they had a caller that was wondering if I was lying. Huh, wow. And, well, I, I get it. I mean, it, I, I'm not offended by that at all because it does sound too unbelievable. But that's why the research is on the website. You know, take a look. I mean, it's it's all there, and uh, then you can you can be the judge on your own at that point. Yeah, I think uh, the people that are aware, they just need to go do research on Redemzavir. They need to go do research on all those medicines that they're given because they use that when you're in hospice, and Correct. I was. I was listening um, as I was delivering today. Uh, it's the fall of the cabal, and I'll definitely I'll text it to you as well. In the UK, they were using I can't remember the name of this this medicine and morphine, which was a Doctor Kevorkian cocktail, Correct. and 
they what they were doing in the UK is they were taking all the elderly people and sending them to a nursing home and then hitting them with that cocktail and they put the DNR on all their paperwork. Yeah. And just wiped twenty what was it, twenty six thousand elderly people out. I mean that's it's insane. Yeah, that's, uh, I had listened to that program. Dr. Artis did a program with the attorney, Claire Wills, that she uh, she has all the research on that. And when I heard that program, I thought, holy cow, this is exactly what happened with Grace. And that's when I started realizing, I think Grace's case is the first one where they got caught. But I think this is way more common than people believe. Oh, I agree. And the people that are walked out the hospital that took Redemsevere and was on a ventilator, they, they definitely have to thank the creator because it's definitely was him that was the reason why they walked out. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's right on. Well, Mike, thanks a lot. This was very nice. No, thank you for coming on and, and having the courage and the bravery to tell your story. And I wish to have you on again, if that's... That's okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy that very much. So thanks. Thank you. I welcome the opportunity. You you have a good night, Scott, and thanks again for joining. All right. You too, Mike. Bye. Bye.